Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. It's great to make it to the end of 2023. What a year it's been, right? Uh, praise God. And uh, as we reflect uh, on this past year, uh, as I was saying at the beginning, I'm sure that there are so many ways that uh, we can just recount uh, God's faithfulness, uh, his grace to us in so many ways. And, um, you know, God has been with us every step away. And we look forward to 2024 and look forward to what God's going to continue to do in our hearts, um, individually and as a church. And uh, we are looking with hope and anticipation. But with that, uh, I'm going to just ask you to uh, join me in a word of prayer as we uh, go into this. And um, and I want to share with you something that I think that the Lord has laid on my heart for our church as we head into uh, 2024, but please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we uh, thank you. We praise you, God, as uh, we just saying, Lord, how great is our God. Uh, you're worthy of our praise and worship, and we uh, rejoice in you. We, we love you, Lord. You are beautiful. You are glorious. And I pray that, Lord, as we open your word, uh, that you would speak uh, truly by your spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would make us into true worshipers of who you are. Lord, we desire to enter into 2024 with hearts that would uh, desire to just know you, to worship you, uh, to follow you, uh, to uh, have hearts that are transformed by your grace, by your word, uh, by this gospel. And we thank you, and uh, we praise you for your presence. We thank you, God, that you're worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this has uh, been truly a uh, phenomenal year uh, in many ways, right? Here we are as the Well SGV, and it was only about three and a half months ago that we had our opening service. And by the grace of God, uh, we have seen the launch of a community of faith uh, by the power of the gospel that would then go out and seek to be a blessing uh, to this community and to be salt and light and really an outpost of God's kingdom uh, in our society. And so we're so thankful. Uh, we, my heart is just full of gratitude for all that God has done. But as we look into 2024, uh, as I was praying about us as a church, and the kind of church that we want to be, uh, we have these high hopes and aspirations. We want to be a kind, the kind of church that really does make a difference into the community, that really is bold in our faith, that really uh, demonstrates God's grace, his glory in very tangible and real ways. But how do we do that? How do we become the kind of people and the kind of church that God would use uh, into 2024. And what I want to do is I just want to actually just step back. Uh, this is a time maybe that, you know, we, a lot of times maybe pastors or churches, they will cast vision looking into the future. And what I would like to do, though, is I'd like to just step back and I'd like to ask ourselves a simple question. And that is, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? I remember uh, when I was in China that there was an older believer. 
And he was someone that a lot of people would look up to and respect as someone who's been a mature Christian, walking with the Lord for many years. Uh, you know, his, his family, his life, his heart, full of love and joy. And I remember one day, uh, he came to me and he asked me this question, what is a Christian? And as he asked this question, he was not asking because he was doubtful about his salvation and he's, you know, he's in this insecure spot with the Lord. But he's asking because he is a maturing Christian and he's growing and he's more thoughtful about his faith than he's ever been. And he's really asking himself this question, what does it mean to identify with Jesus? And I thought that was a great question. And it's a, it's a question that even as a pastor, you know, I, we talk about Jesus, we talk about the gospel, we talk about the Bible and who God is, all these things. But have we ever asked ourselves simply, what is a Christian? I was in uh, Denton, Texas about uh, two months ago. And this was a conference uh, called the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication. And in Denton, Texas, in this convention center, there were about 400 plus missions leaders from all around the world. And these are leaders from some of the biggest missions organizations that you could think of. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention, IMB, Crew, um, just you name it. But the reason why these 400-plus leaders were in this convention for these four days in Denton, Texas, was for one reason, one passion. Every single one of these mission-minded leaders had one vision, and that is to reach the most unengaged, unreached people groups of the world, the, the really hard-to-reach places with the gospel. They are passionate about this, and they are highly committed to mobilizing, training, sending, and going to some of the hardest places with the gospel. This is why they were there. And they have a vision to see one church planted for every 1,000 people of the world. They're very ambitious and a highly driven missions leaders. And I remember one of the presenters at this conference said something, this phrase, that really stuck out to me as I was hearing, here's a, a person who's done research and he's looked at movements of Christianity from around the world and he's looked at what is it that's, that's stirring these movements, what's catalyzing them, you know, wh why is God working in these particular areas of the world, those kind of things. And he said this one phrase that just resonated, and he came to this conclusion. He said, we need to lower the bar for what it means to be a church and raise the bar for what it means to be a disciple. We need to lower the bar for what it means to be a church and raise the bar for what it means to be a disciple. And the reason why that phrase really just struck out at me is because I feel like here in the States, it's the opposite. 
we have a very high bar sometimes for what it means to be a church and a very low bar for what it means to be a Christian. So what we say, so for a church, right, well, we need a building and we need this big budget and we need these programs, we need great parking, we need great children's programs, and we need all these kind of things that can meet all different kinds of felt needs for all the people so that we can attract them to our church. That's what we typically think of as a church, right? A place that we go to and we can attract. And in the meantime, we require very little to be a Christian. Just show up. Just show up. Hopefully you'll read your Bible a little bit more, but just show up. But what this researcher, this missions leader discovered is that a genuine movement of Christianity, of the gospel, if you look at the book of Acts, if you look in the Bible, the churches didn't have great buildings. They didn't have great parking. They didn't have great programs for the kids and families. They didn't have any of that. But you know what they did have? They had people whose lives were completely transformed by the power of Jesus. And they were generous. They were willing to sell their possessions. They were willing to give it to the poor and to those in need in the family of Christ. They were willing to risk their lives to take the gospel to some of the hardest people in the world at risk to their own safety and health because they believe the gospel that much. That's what you find in biblical Christianity in the book of Acts. And this is what he began to discover around the world. This is where God is working. This is where you see Jesus movements genuinely taking place. So as I've been thinking about this question from that conference, and I'm thinking about the well and the fact that, yeah, it's great that we have a worship service and we've got this, uh, you know, this gathering and that's all good and fine and dandy. And that's, that's praise the Lord for that, right? That is great. But I think my heartbeat in all of this is that, that we capture the heart of God. That, you know, as we maybe, you know, look into facilities and do membership and all that, that we don't miss what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian. What is a Christian? And so this is why I, this is my heart, and this is what I've been praying about, and this is what I feel very compelled to just share with us here at the Well SUV. When we started this church, we said, and we say this every single Sunday, our mission, we exist to multiply followers of Jesus, rooted in the gospel, who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. This is what we say every single Sunday. But how do we keep this from being simply a mantra that we just say Sunday after Sunday, a phrase that we just simply repeat? How do we actually embody this mission statement? Right? How do we do that? When we started this church, we had a vision, and this vision was very simple. We wanted to see a church in which disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, my, aim, my sole aim is to, to glorify God, to, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, 
And because my own faith is centered on Jesus and it's vibrant and it's, it's strong, I can then take my faith and replicate it into other people. That's the vision. Not a pastor standing here and just expecting people to show up and sit and just watch and listen, rather that Jesus is in our hearts and we are replicating our faith into those around us. That is biblical Christianity. This is what we find in the book of Acts. And this is my heartbeat. So what does that mean? The passage that uh, Angela read is very simple, Romans 12, 1 through 2. And I think in this passage, we find in two verses what is Christianity and what is a Christian. Very simple. Three things, really quick. I want to talk about worship, word, and why. Worship, word, and why. First of all, worship. A Christian is someone whose everyday lifestyle is worship. Look at verse 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right. So Paul, he says, therefore, and that therefore is a conclusion of Romans 1 through 11. And this, this gospel that Paul has been expounding, explaining to the Roman Christians And then he says, in light of this, the only proper response to what God has done for us through the person and work of Jesus is simply worship. It's worship. This is the only proper and fitting response to really absorbing the gospel in your heart. And Paul uses this imagery of the temple. And in the temple, in the Old Testament, you have worshipers who go with the sacrifice to offer to the Lord, and he's playing off of this analogy, this imagery in the Old Testament. And there's different kinds of sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament. There were there are five different kinds of animal sacrifices. But really quickly, for example, one of the, the sacrifices that were, was done at the temple was what's called the sin offering. The sin offering is you present this animal sacrifice, you're coming before the Lord, asking for his mercy, the atonement um, to cover you. But we know, Paul has already said, that Jesus is our sin offering. He has been offered on our behalf as a lamb of God. And so when Paul says, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a sacrifice, he's not talking about as a sin offering. He's not saying I appeal to you to keep asking God for forgiveness of your sins. No, Jesus has done that. He has done that. But another offering that was done in the Old Testament is what's called the whole burnt offering. And the whole burnt offering was that you take the most precious animal that you've got, unblemished, unstained. You present this animal to God as a demonstration, as a way to say, God, Uh, I present to you my life. This is what I offer. I'm going to give you the best. I'm not going to give you the leftovers. I'm going to give you the very best that I've got to offer to you. And this is what pleased the Lord. It was a, a complete dedication to the Lord. 
And this is what Paul has in mind. When the Bible says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, what the Bible is saying is what God wants, what God commands, what he requires is he wants your whole life. He wants your heart. It was very easy in the Old Testament, maybe for the Israelites, to offer their sacrifice, right? Let me go to the temple. Let me do my animal sacrifice. Let me get my religious ritual, my Sunday worship duty out of the way. Now I can live my life the way I want. No. That didn't honor God one bit. Does God need another animal? He owns the whole universe. Does that honor the Lord? No. The sacrifice was simply meant to be an outward expression of an inward heart that is completely dedicated to God himself. This is what honors the Lord. This is what it means to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. But Paul, he takes this a step further, right? In the Old Testament, they offered dead animals, Right, you slaughter the animal, you, you, you offer that animal up. Paul says, look, God's not interested in your, your dead sacrifices. He wants a living sacrifice. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, he wants you daily, alive to the Lord. This is what God is looking for. And so this is... You know, every single day that we live, God is looking for your heart. And Paul uses this term. He says, this is your spiritual worship. Or in the NIV sometimes it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is how you worship God. A lot of times when we use the word worship in church, what are we thinking about? If I say the word worship... A lot of times, what immediately comes to our mind is we think of this. We think of coming to a building, singing a few songs, going through a worship service, and then we get hung up on debates in churches like, well, that song I, doesn't quite fit me. I, you know, I kind of like the, the hymns, or I like the you know, more modern songs, or you know, this style. I, I don't know if this really is my kind of style of worship. We get hung up on the wrong thing. And this misses the point of what the Bible is trying to say about worship. What Paul is saying and what the Bible is saying about worship is, worship is a way that you live your life Monday to Saturday, not just on a Sunday morning. Yes, this is a form of worship, and corporate worship is very important. And yes, as Christians, we practice this regularly. But the, the emphasis and what, the, what, what God is looking for, what Paul's trying to get across is how you live your life when you go home from this worship service this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning when you wake up, that is true worship. God sees your heart. God sees your words. He hears it. He sees the attitudes in the heart. That's what God is looking for. That is worship. And so we don't conclude this worship service and then just kind of go on, right? Worship, what it means, what does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian is someone whose lifestyle is a worship to God. 
That's what the Christian is. Your everyday lifestyle is a form of worship to God. How you go about your work, your hobbies, your play, your family life, your entertainment, your, your marriage, your friends, how you respond when things don't go your way, when you're being tempted, when you're being tried, all those things that go against your heart, how do you respond in those moments? That is worship. And this is what he's getting at. And it's interesting because in Romans 12:1, Paul uses this word, he says, to present your bodies. I find it interesting. Paul didn't say, present your souls to God. He didn't say, present your spirit or present your heart to God. He said, present your bodies to God. And this is great. Why? Because in our day and age, it's very easy to do this spiritual secular split, right? This is my spiritual life, but then here's my other life. Here's my work life, my entertainment life, my family life, my friend life, or you know, we, we compartmentalize our faith into different categories. But Paul says you can't do that. Your whole body, your body, and what you do with your body is simply uh, an expression of what's going on in your heart. How you spend your time, your money, your energy, like all of that, it comes out through the use of your body. And so that's why Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Right? So, what does it mean to worship? When you go back to work, it's hard. It's like, we've had great holidays, it's been fun, we've eaten well, we've rested well, right? But when you go, you go to work and you do your best, not because it's going to enhance your career and therefore your pay, your salary, or do you go to work because it's a form of worship? of glorifying God. The work is a form of worship. Do you see it that way? Do you see that I'm going to do my best, not because of the personal benefit to my life, but because I see it as a way to serve God and honor Him, and I'm going to do my best to represent Him in this work environment, right? Are you generous with your money? Because, and you don't just simply give your tithe, right? It's like, okay, I've done my religious tithe. Now I can spend my money however I want. It's my money. I've earned it. It's my money. I, mean, I can do what, whatever I want with it. Or do you see it as, no, I, I'm a steward. God owns everything I've got. And your, your, your consistent prayer, whenever you see your paycheck, God, how am I supposed to steward this for your glory? How am I supposed to manage your money, right? Do you see it that way? Your relationships, Right? Do you only invest in the people who, who satisfy your needs, your emotional needs? Oh, they make me happy, or they, you know, I, I love, you know, this, is, this relationship gives me life, and, and you kind of ditch the ones that don't, or whatever. Or do you see that everyone that you come across in your life is someone whom God loves, created in the image of God, and that whether they're easy, difficult, or whatnot, that God calls you as a form of worship to Extend the love of Christ to this person, right? Now, I'm not saying that you can't have your friends, right, or, you know, make those distinctions. But do you see that every single relationship, whether easy or hard, is given to you by God sovereignly so that you would 
see it as a form of loving God and loving this person to glorify him? Those are some questions. And what the Bible's saying is a Christian is someone whose very lifestyle, your inner attitudes, your, your motive, everything about what's going on in your heart, you're, you're doing these things, and it's an outward expression through your body because you love God, because you want to worship him. That is a Christian. But secondly, this leads to the next point, and that is the word, the word. A Christian is someone whose life is based on the word of God. How do we live in such a way that honors God? How are you going to know what honors God? The only way to know is through the word of God. And Paul says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. This word transform, uh, metamorpho, is metamorphosis, right? But it's, uh, think of the caterpillar, right? To the butterfly, but it's completely transformed. Like it's, it's DNA, substance, everything about it. It's a complete, beautiful transformation. And when Christ comes into your life, he has the power to completely transform you from the inside out. This is the power of Jesus to free you from sin and then free you to know him and to serve him and those things. And and, and then uh, he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by, by how? By the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. So, as Christians, what kind of sets us apart is the fact that we are, first and foremost, a people, you could say, of the book, of the word. In other words, we don't use manipulation. We don't try to control your emotions or manipulate your emotions or your will. There's none of that. It's about examining the truth of God's word. And as you examine and you meditate on it, then it comes to your heart and it comes out into your will. It's based on the truth of God's word. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. It's a transformation about your thinking about God, yourself, the world, the people around you. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To discern what is the will of God. As you go into God's word, you then begin to know what is it that really pleases God. What honors the Lord? What doesn't honor the Lord? What kinds of thinking honors God? What kinds of thinking dishonors God? What kinds of attitudes, behaviors? And the Christian is someone who embraces the will of God through the word of God and rejects the, the world or the, the feelings, attitudes, behaviors that characterize your old self and the world. You're embracing your new nature in Christ, your new identity in Jesus. This is what a Christian is. And you're doing so because you are in the word of God. This is a process. You know, God is doing his transformative work in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls. God is the one who does it. But we must actively engage God in this process. It doesn't just come passively. We have to actively engage Jesus and his word in order to experience the transformative effects of his spirit in our lives. That's why Paul says, he commands, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Like, it, you know, he's, he's urging us to, to do this. So the question that I want to ask us is this. What are we feeding into our minds? What are we feeding into our minds? 
I want you to think about your week, right? Think about the past week. Every week has exactly the same number of hours, 168 hours. How much time in those 168 hours do we spend reading God's word, meditating on it, studying it, carefully examining what does it say? Compare that to how much time we engage social media, media, the messages of the world. What is it like? Is there a difference? What you feed into your mind, what you feed into your heart and your soul, that's what's going to shape you. If we are in God's word, God's word is going to shape our, the way that we think, the way that we, our attitudes, the way we look at God, the world, our, ourselves. But if we're engaged in other things, those are the things that are going to shape us. So I want to ask you, how much are we engaging God's word, seriously engaging it? Not just on the surface level, but really just engaging, trying to get beneath the surface, really letting God's word get into you, absorbing God's word. Again, what you dwell on, what you think about, your thought patterns, that's what's going to shape you. You're constantly being shaped and formed, either by God's word or by the messages of the culture around you. And it's a battle. It's a battle for truth. It's a battle for what's actually right and pure. It's a battle for these things. And as a Christian, a Christian is someone who says, God, your word is the most important truth in my life. And there's a lot of false ways of thinking, false attitudes. There's a lot of false values. There's a lot of false things in my heart. But Lord, I want to be transformed by your word. This is a Christian. You you love and you treasure the word of God. This is your book. And you are in the book. And the book is inside of you. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus whose life actually starts making a difference and bears fruit for his kingdom. This is what Jesus talked about. Whoever abides in me and lets my words abide in him, he will bear much fruit. Right? This is the person who will bear fruit. So, brothers and sisters, family of God, the well SUV, I urge you, be in the book. Let this book be inside of you. Like, let this, when, when you bleed, let it bleed the Bible because it's, it's inside of you. This is my prayer. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training. Teaching, who is God? Who are we? Reproof, compare it to a standard. It's like a mirror. It shows us where God wants us to be and where we're, where we're not. And it, it, it serves as kind of that mirror to correct, to straighten out the gap, to train. So this word train is used of the training of a child. Um, you know, children need a lot of training, right? Otherwise, they're going to kill themselves, right? They put their fingers in sockets, right? They, like, do all kinds of things. So we need to constantly train children, right, when they're young. And, and, uh, and the Word of God trains us into new ways and attitudes and behaviors. So... This is something that I learned when I was in college, and I pass on 
to uh, every time, you know, when I do discipleship of, of people or whatever, but it's never left me, and I love it. And navigators in college, uh, they taught us the hand for the word of God, okay? Now, you guys have, you know, you guys who spent, <laughs> you know, the hand, right? So think of the hand. Think of these five fingers. And think of these are ways to absorb God's word. So we must read it. Okay, read. Okay, let's do this together. <laughs> Just stick out here, hand. Read God's word. Read, hear, study, memorize, and then the thumb is meditate. Okay, let's try it one more time. <laughs> Read, hear, study, memorize, and then meditate. So think of these five ways. These are five ways of letting the word of God come into your soul, into your heart. And it's interesting because the thumb is meditation. And uh, the reason why it's meditation is because if you, don't, if you just simply hear, study, or whatever, but you're not actually thinking deeply about God's word, it's, it's not going to hold, right? You need the thumb to counteract. And the thumb is, the key is meditating on God's word. Clever, huh? <laughs> and that stuck with me, and I love that. And it, it made an impact as a, as a young believer in my life in college. I remember and thinking, oh, like, okay. Like, I've got to find ways to actually think about God's word and really meditate on it. But this is what I, what I really urge you, right, heading into 2024. And finally, the why. The why. The why is, is a Christian is saved by the mercies of God. So going back to verse 1, why do we do this? You know, why obey? Why surrender? Why go into God's word? Why do all these things? The, only re- the, the reason why is because of the mercies of God. Look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. And as I said earlier, therefore goes back to the whole reason, the whole motive of why we do these things. Romans 1 through 11. Simply that we were sinners deserving of God's wrath, God's judgment, because of our rebellion and our sin against God. But God, in his grace, in his love, sent his only son, Jesus, fully man, fully God, lived the perfect life, died the death, the, paid the penalty of our sin through his death on the cross. He rose again. He justified us, gave us new life. He's forgiven us. And now we belong to the family of God. This is the gospel. And if you know, if your heart is absorbed and gripped by the immensity of God's grace, the only response is a response of worship to say, Lord, my life belongs to you. And this is the reason, by the mercies of God. And the discipline that I want to encourage all of us is the discipline of centering our hearts on this gospel daily. We use this phrase a lot, but we talk about We must preach the gospel to our hearts daily. We must preach the gospel to our hearts daily. When you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're afraid, when you are steeped in shame and guilt because of your sin, when you feel lonely, when you feel hopeless, what do you turn to? You turn to the gospel. And you allow this gospel, you 
preach this to your heart, and as you preach this gospel to your heart, then the response is one of worship. All the heart of our ministry here at the well, our mission, worship, whatever it is, at the heart of it is this gospel. That God has demonstrated his love for you and I, and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. So, as we head into 2024, I emailed you uh, this past week. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm not big on making resolutions because I know by, like, January 15th, whatever resolutions I made, it's like, what? <laughs> what happened to that, right? And uh, so I'm not big on making, okay, I'm going to make this resolution, that resolution, right? But one thing I do like and one thing I do do is I like asking myself questions that really cause me to examine things at beneath the surface level. And so I emailed you uh, this past week, some of you who are on our update list, a list of 10 questions. And these are 10 questions that I want you to ask yourself, like take some time uh, before even like the clock strikes midnight tonight, right? Uh, but take some time, even, even if it's just an hour or half an hour, but ask yourself these questions. Our heart. Are we cultivating love of Christ by regularly saturating ourselves in prayer and study and meditation in God's word? As I said, right? Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the, by the renewal of your mind. But are you cultivating love of Christ in your heart through saturation of these things? Are we cultivating the mind of Christ by grounding your beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors in scripture? Right. Instead of listening to, oh, this is what, you know, this is what I saw in the movie, or this is, the, you know, this is what people are saying, are you testing it by God's word? What does God's word actually say about it? Are you examining the underlying worldview in light of scripture? Are we honoring the bodies that God gave us by growing in our ability to recognize our physical strengths and limitations? So praise God for our physical bodies. God is going to redeem both body and soul, not just our souls in God's kingdom. Um, but how are we seeking to steward our bodies well? And we all have our limitations, right? We need, to, we need to recognize that. Are we laboring to love and reflect Christ in our families, friendships, and even to those who oppose us? That's a hard one. But have you thought that maybe God has brought that difficult person in your life because of your sanctification? Because he's trying to form you into the image of Christ? And even for this person's good, that they would know Christ? Have, are we thinking in those terms? But how are we honoring, or how are we laboring to love? It's a labor. Do we know our spiritual gifts? Are we using them for the building up of the body of Christ? Right? Are we seeking to serve the church well? Stewardship. How are we growing and stewarding the material goods and resources God has given us in a way that nourishes and bestows good to others? Right? What does hospitality, generosity with our possessions look like? Integrity. Does our faith actually inform the way that we live at home, at work, the school, the playing field, the mall, or entertainment choices, all that? Does it, is, there, is there wholeness? Is there integrity in our faith? If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, those who reflect Christ, is there integrity between what we 
profess to say that we believe in in the actual lives that we live. Rest, are we exercising regular Sabbath rest or are we toiling to save ourselves by overwork? Justice and mercy, do we take seriously God's heart for the poor, marginalized, orphaned, and widowed? What does it mean to embody the love of Christ? And vocation, again, how are we using our work, whether it's as a mom, as a dad, as a volunteer, uh, as an accountant, whatever that you do, but are you seeing it as you're participating with Christ in making all things new? Now, I want you to ask these questions, and then I want you to ask yourselves, what are two or three areas that maybe God is speaking to you? Are there two or three particular areas to say, Lord, these are areas that I believe that, that you are calling me to be a more faithful disciple? These are areas that you're, you're calling me to be more, to bear uh, greater fruit of the Spirit. What are those two or three areas? Talk it over with someone who knows you well and that you could even process this with, pray together with, keep you accountable to, right? And then projecting into 2024, I said this at the beginning, but when we planted this church, we envisioned a church where disciples make disciples. And what does that mean? A lot of things that we do are, you could say, discipleship. But I think specifically what I mean by this is that if you, look at, if you look in the Bible, right, there's an Apostle Paul, someone who's walked a few steps ahead of you in the faith that you can look to. There's a Barnabas, someone who's kind of a peer level who encourages you. And there's a Timothy, someone that you're investing into to help them follow Jesus more faithfully. So when I think about discipleship, I think what Jesus did in spending, you know, three intensive years with those 12, right, just they, they, they did everything together, right? Uh, I think about, is there a Paul in your life? Is there someone who spiritually is helping you to follow Jesus more faithfully? Is there a Barnabas, just a peer, a friend that, hey, we can encourage each other and, and, and pray for each other and those kind of things? Is there a Timothy, someone that, hey, God has put this person in my heart. I want to really invest in this person. I want to help them to know Jesus. I want to help them to be a more faithful disciple of Jesus. Uh, and I think there are some things I can impart to this person. Right. So think about those questions. Those are the kinds of things that, uh, I, I'm, I'm going back to my Christian roots, you know. And this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what, if you were to ask me, my friend Mark, who asked me this question in China, if you were to ask me, what is a Christian, this is what I would tell him. Someone who, who worships God as a lifestyle is in the word and wholeheartedly desires to follow and love Jesus. This is the greatest passion in their life, to treasure Jesus and follow him. And I pray that we, as the well SUV, would be these kind of disciples. These are disciples who would turn the world upside down. That your life would make a real difference for his kingdom. So, I want us to just come before the Lord, and as we do uh, every Sunday, we have communion. I want you to respond to the Lord, and if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, come up and as we are reminded of communion, we're reminded, yes, uh, we do fall short. 
there's areas of our lives that God wants to transform. He wants to change. And by his grace, we're invited to come into his presence. And even though, yes, we're always going to fall short in this life, God forgives. But he also gives a grace to change us too. We don't have to constantly just fail. God gives us the grace to enable us to obey him, to faithfully follow him. And so as we come, that you come with that, that, that heart, say, Lord, take my life. I surrender to you. I dedicate it to you. You deserve it all. And I ask that you would just do what it takes in my life so that I would be, my life would display who you are, Jesus, because at the end of the day, that's all that's going to matter in this world. That's all that's going to matter. So let's do that. And there's going to be some people uh, willing to pray with you as well. They'll be right there. If you need someone just to pray with, they're going to be ready and available just to pray with you. Say, Lord, I want to enter 2024 with a new heart. Lord, I want to glorify you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.